You're listening to Immersed. I'm Suzanne Zinsley. And I'm Chris Zinsley. Each episode, we take you deep inside the world of a game. Oh man, that really sucks. <sighs> this is a little stressful, okay? Because it's like, I'm, I'm about to kill everybody and I don't really want to. Oh. <laughs> You're listening in on Linda okay. Durant um, as she plays the solo board game Hostage Negotiator. In the game, you, and only you, have to rescue a group of innocent people who are being held captive by an armed abductor. These are not real people. <laughs> but I'm still stressed out. The game takes place over a series of conversations between you and the hostage taker. When you start the game, you don't know much about what the abductor wants, and you definitely don't know whether you can or should agree to any of it. Right from the start, Hostage Negotiator throws you into the middle of an intense standoff. Of course, they are volatile things and very stressful, but it is what we volunteered to be a part of the team as, and uh, they're, they're pretty exhilarating when they do happen. That's Tony Diudo. These days, he manages the Emergency Communications Center for a major airport in Florida. But from 2007 to 2012, he was part of a crisis response team near Tampa. For a while, he mostly offered support to the team's lead negotiator. Until one day, about 10 years ago, Thanksgiving Day, in fact, when he found himself unexpectedly in the hot seat. I was actually working that day as a patrolman, and we had gotten a tip about a warrant uh, that we were able to serve involving a violent felon and weapons involved. And so we went to the house attempting to make contact and using pretty low-key approach, uh, knowing that it was the holiday and we really didn't want to. This was not a SWAT team, you know, door-knocking type of situation. This was just this patrol squad with a couple guys that would maybe check the, keep an eye on the backside of the house while others went to the, the front. It was clear that the subject and his family were inside the building, but the officers kept knocking on the door and no one answered. Given the nature of what the warrant was, we were concerned about the well-being of the occupants, especially once it became apparent that police were present at the scene. They tried having the force's dispatchers contact the people inside over the phone. No luck. We've tried to find ways to communicate with them. We know they're there, and we know they're not coming out. And at that point, we were concerned, you know, what kind of, what level of resistance were we going to encounter with this situation? They didn't know how this was going to play out. So the supervisor on the scene made the call to bring in the crisis response team. This team was made up of various members of the police force. In addition to their normal beats, the group could be called out at a moment's notice to respond to an emergency like this one. Here's how it worked. Once the call went out, team members were notified through a phone tree. Each member called the others and passed along the basic information about the situation they'd be responding to and where to meet. One team member would be responsible for bringing the group's van. This van was the team's mobile headquarters. The entire, it was actually a converted ambulance with everything on the inside was a whiteboard. Everything from the, every wall, every counter, table, ceiling, was all something that you could write on with a dry erase marker so that way there was no shortage of space to be able to document the information that we were getting and to make it accessible to the negotiators. 
The van also was filled with gadgets for doing the job. One of the team's most important tools was a shockproof box with a telephone inside. It's called the throw phone. The throw phone is the negotiator's primary connection to the hostage taker. It's secure. It's reliable. It's how the team gets most of their information about what's going on inside the building and inside the hostage taker's mind. All this coordination is necessary because the lead negotiator can do their job much better with a support team behind them. The team, it's, it operates very differently than what we might be exposed to in the movies and other media. In reality, it's a team of individuals that are closely supporting that, that person that's on the phone. Most of the time, Tony would play a support role. Where that negotiator that's on the phone is trying to diffuse the emotions of the person that they're speaking with, they are usually surrounded by a secondary uh, or more of other additional negotiators that are passing them notes. They're documenting the information that is coming in through the encounter, and they are being fed a lot of suggestions along the way of, you know, talk about this, avoid that. So that way they go down the right path and hopefully bring about peaceful resolution. This is one place where the game Hostage Negotiator takes a more cinematic approach to these kinds of standoffs. It's a solo game, so you don't have a team backing you up. It's just you and the hostage taker. Back at the building. We made the call out and the, the crisis response team responded. Members were coming to the scene. The SWAT team began their response and just like with me being there already at the scene as a member of the crisis response team we also had members there that were part of my squad that were part of the SWAT team so they were there then now setting their perimeter and taking a more tactical mindset and approach to this is something that could become prolonged and we want to think tactically about how we're going to secure this area and respond if the situation changes. Very quickly, this had stopped being a low-key situation. And, of course, as the police response increased, the attention that was drawn in the neighborhood also increased, and neighbors were coming out and standing along our perimeter and watching, uh, wanting to see what was going on. It was a nice neighborhood and uh, not the kind of thing that you would expect to see any day, let alone Thanksgiving Day. Tony was already on the scene, so he began trying to get more information about what might be going on inside. So I was given the task of getting in touch with the various neighbors in the crowd to find out how we can get information about ways to contact the the resident inside. So I began speaking with members that were standing along our perimeter, the, the neighborhood, and trying to find out who might be able to provide assistance. And it was when I talked to this one gentleman, he said, I'm on the phone with them in there right now. The subject was actually on the phone with one of his neighbors, just as Tony was looking for a way to reach him. Uh, a neighbor that was close enough to be able to see everything that was going on and call his buddy inside and be like, hey, man, I think the police are looking for you. So Tony went with it. So I, I, would, I commandeered his cell phone and quickly ran back to my team and was able to establish that communication with the resident, with the warrant uh, subject, and try to peacefully talk him out. Suddenly, Tony was in the lead. Uh, since I had already started talking to him, they let me continue talking to him. 
<laughs> it was one of those moments where it's like, all right, you know, get your game face on and, and hope that all that training that you've gone through, you remember as you're just sweating bullets. To top it off, Tony didn't have access to all the usual equipment. No throw phone, just the cell phone. And his team couldn't even listen in. Unlike the ideal situation, because in an ideal situation, a team is talking to the subject through a landline or the throw phone. But because we were chatting on somebody else's cell phone, my team members could not hear what it is that he was saying to me. And I didn't want to risk the quality of the conversation by putting him on speakerphone. Um, So I was doing my best to, without being too overt, try to repeat back a lot of the things that he was saying to me so that way my team could understand what was going on through the conversation. Tony was largely flying solo on his first time as lead negotiator. At this point, we didn't understand the how volatile the situation was inside the house. We didn't know, was is he the, given the, again, I, we, we hate to assume the worst, but given the nature of the warrant, we wanted to make sure that he wasn't standing on the other side of the door with loaded weapons and expecting a armed standoff. There's good reason why Tony was allowed to stay on the line, even though he had never led a negotiation before. We want that subject to feel like it's one person that they're communicating with. We don't want them to have the impression that if they don't like us, that they can then pick somebody else. You, you sometimes it's it's quite often you have to fight through that when that happens because you don't want them to be able to dictate the the course of those negotiations. In a way, all of the support staff and technology that's working behind the scenes is purposely made invisible to the person on the other end of the phone. Maybe it's appropriate that Hostage Negotiator is a solo game after all. I need to phone a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness, because this is, um... All right. I gotta save a person's life. Linda is at a crucial moment in the game, and she's getting a little stressed out. (laughs) No, I have to... This is about saving people. Okay, so I have to remember that. I have to... save a person so i'm gonna get uh, i'm gonna get rid of two cards dang it this is pretty common among people playing hostage negotiator the game was specifically designed to bring out just this kind of reaction yeah i'll get rid of two cards and i'm saving a person and i don't feel horrible with my life decisions right now (laughs) okay we're good The game largely revolves around the player talking with the abductor by playing what are called conversation cards. You say something, then you roll some dice to see how the abductor reacts. Sometimes, if the dice don't go your way, you can lose hostages. Lose too many, and you lose the game. So we're done with the terror phase. Oh my god, that one was terrifying. That really was. Okay, so now we're back to conversation. To find out more, we talked with AJ Porfirio, the the game's designer, at the Origins 2018 convention. AJ also is the head of Van Ryder Games, which published Hostage Negotiator in 2015. AJ didn't shy away from some of the darker aspects of the game setting. A game about negotiating with a hostage taker was bleak for sure, but AJ leaned into it. We could have easily called, you know, hostage deaths being knocked out or being, you know, disappearing or, you know, some kind of abstract or, or less than death type of thing. But that decision to keep that was, I think, an important part of that. Um, Because if it was just, oh, they're knocked out, you know, 
I don't think that you would have the same emotional reaction um, when you lose one. Um, and vice versa, it also makes when you save one or get one out, the euphoric feeling you get from that is is more intense because you know it could have, have happened to the hostage if you didn't get them out. For some people, it was a step too far. Some players have said they think the game crosses a line. I mean, should such a terrible situation be turned into a game in the first place? Everyone's wired differently, and we're all going to have different tolerances of, of what we do and don't want in our gaming lives. And I understand that, and that I never begrudge anyone who sort of feels that way. At the same time, AJ made several decisions when he was creating the game to ensure that it doesn't make light of hostage situations. He was opposed from the start to letting any player act as the abductor. It's a solo game for a reason. Also, the hostages aren't personalized. They're all generic yellow wooden figures. But when it came to the abductors, AJ made the opposite decision. The abductors we absolutely do, do and did personalize. So they all have a backstory. Um, they all sort of have a personality and what their demands are, are different and sort of fleshes everything out. And you can, you can really just feel the story develop as you're playing the game based on those things. Each time you sit down to play the game, you choose a hostage taker to face off against. There are even expansion packs with new abductors. Each one has their own card. You see the face of the abductor, you know their name, you find out what they've done and what they want. Each one is a person with a story. It might seem strange to make a point of humanizing someone who's doing something so terrible. But Tony told us that real-life crisis response teams are taught how to make connections with the people they deal with, even if those people are doing awful things. They, they need to know that you're on their team to see this through with them. And there, there's some scenarios that we've studied that there's no way that I'm going to be on the same team as some of the folks that we've studied, but it would still be my job to make them feel that I was. But more often than not, the people that we would encounter were, you know, just uh, distraught people that found themselves in unfortunate circumstances that, you know, they just made some bad decisions. They, I wouldn't say that they were, they were evil uh, and, you know, beyond redemption. Talking with someone with this level of empathy is not easy. Crisis response team members are taught how to do it. In fact, it's one of the main tools that they learn for handling these kinds of situations. It's called active listening. There's a lot to it, but active listening uses various conversational techniques. One of the simplest is called minimal encouragers. Those are little words that gently push along the conversation, like, I see, and uh-huh. There's emotion labeling, which means giving a word to how the other person seems to be feeling. There's paraphrasing something they've said to make it clear that you're following along. Or mirroring which means repeating some of the words that the other person just used. These techniques can be very useful in crisis situations or even in everyday interactions. But before you go off and start using these tactics yourself, a note of caution. When you go to hostage negotiation school and they start teaching you about active listening and a lot of the tactics and techniques that one would use, they, they, they warn you, be careful about taking those home because you don't want your spouse to catch you using these negotiating tactics to try and influence their mood. And they're going to think you're trying to do these Jedi mind tricks on them uh, that you've learned from work. As you might have guessed from the name, active listening involves a lot of, well, listening and much less talking. 
It's, it's a common misconception that it's the negotiator that's going to show up and do all the talking to and say the right things to bring this person to peaceful surrender. They do a lot of listening. And negotiator uses these techniques of active listening to draw out the connection and relationship with this person that's in crisis to help lower their anxiety and help them see that there is a solution beyond what they're currently considering. So active listening is the most useful tool that a negotiator can use to try and develop rapport with that person because somebody in crisis is not going to consider the solution that you're pitching if they're at that high level of anxiety. One of the most important parts of the game hostage negotiator is how you keep track of the abductor's mental state. There's a tracker built into the game called the threat level. When the threat level is high and the abductor is angry, they're more likely to start acting out with violence. But if you choose the right things to say, and if you pay attention to how the hostage taker is likely to react, you can start lowering the threat level. Get it low enough, and they start releasing hostages. Fortunately for Tony and everyone involved, the Thanksgiving Day standoff ended better than anyone could have hoped. Although it looked grim on the outside and the kind of thing that, you know, we've got this large crowd that's forming and that we've got the SWAT team positioned all around the house. I was starting to become relieved to find out that he wasn't holding people hostage. His family was in there, but of course they were just concerned about him uh, and he wasn't holding anybody against their will. As Tony started talking with the subject, it became clear that he was just nervous about serving time for the weapons charge. I think I was getting a wash of relief to find out that although he was nervous and he had some anxiety, that he was not intentionally having a standoff with us. And I was able to, through convincing him that, hey, th this isn't as bad as uh, we, we were thinking that it could be and that we wanted him to work with us. Uh, and just be able to help us take care of this. He it, it didn't. It was probably less than thirty minutes of chatting with him that he voluntarily surrendered, and we were able to verify that everybody was okay, and we could peacefully serve the warrant. Even though in this case there wasn't a serious threat, Tony was able to use the same approach later on in much worse situations. Sometimes preventing someone from harming others. Sometimes stopping them from harming themselves. And that's the role that I was thrust into for that situation. Although there was no negotiating for hostages, there was no talking him out of suicide. It was really just trying to buy his cooperation in a peaceful way. And it was different than the kind of things that we normally had trained for. Tony told us that crisis negotiators sometimes end up forming genuine bonds with the people they've talked with. After coming to understand what's driving people to act the way they do, Tony said negotiators sometimes follow up on those people to make sure they're being treated fairly. All that effort that we put into building that trust goes out the window if they realize that once they hang up the phone and surrender, that it was all just for show. And, and it, it can't be. Uh, it has to be genuine. It has to be believable. And that goes for more than just the big dramatic standoffs. It also applies to the everyday encounters that an officer has on the beat. The way that I would treat someone when I arrested them, they're going to go in, if they find themselves being arrested again, they're going to go into that encounter with recollection of how they were treated the previous time. So if they were treated miserably, 
then it's probably not going to be me that's arresting him. It's probably going to be somebody else. And if, if I treated them poorly, then that other officer is probably going to have a really difficult time. And, and I hope that, you know, they would be able to find safe resolution. And, and I know I'm kind of going off the rails here, but uh, it, I really, th- this ties into just the connections that we would make with people as crisis response team members and police officers is uh, we, we need them to realize that we are concerned about them, that, that these, this is genuine because these things do happen again and again. And, or, and we just want to, I don't know, make sure that we, we find that, that peace for everyone there and that nobody gets hurt. So, uh, yeah. We'll be back in a minute with more about Hostage Negotiator, how the game walks a different line after the break. Let's talk about Cardboard Edison. You might know us from uh, this podcast. But did you know that CardboardEdison.com has all sorts of other useful resources for board game designers? We've got a blog with links to thousands of articles that you can search through. We've done interviews and industry reports. There's a list of playtest groups, a game design checklist, and a directory of hundreds of publishers and the kinds of games they're looking for. We have a weekly newsletter that's filled with game design tips and resources. We even run an annual contest for unpublished game designs. Pretty much anything a designer could want, we've put it all together in one place. If you've got an idea for a board game, check out CardboardEdison.com to get started. Tell us we sent you. That was weird, right? One of the key features of Hostage Negotiator as a game design is the dice. You roll dice a lot. Basically, every card you play tells you to roll some dice to determine what happens. The game design term for this is output randomness. You make a decision, then something random determines whether you were successful. When this kind of randomness is taken to an extreme, players can feel like their choices aren't meaningful, like the game is playing them. But Hostage Negotiator walks the line and makes you feel like your choices do matter. There are a few reasons for that. First, unlike a lot of other card games where you have to play the cards you're dealt, in Hostage Negotiator, you always choose your cards for the next round. AJ Porfirio, the designer, calls this hand-building, a play on the popular deck-building style of games. So when I developed the the hand-building mechanic where you're you're buying cards from the you know the market in straight into your hand instead of sort of into your discard pile of your deck like most deck builders my idea was i'm going to eliminate that randomness so you know exactly what cards you have in your hand versus a deck builder they go in your discard and you don't know when they're going to show up so that's where the randomness is and instead introduced the randomness in resolving the cards letting players choose exactly which cards they want gives them a lot of control the dice counteract that Hostage situations are very volatile, and even though a negotiator may think he's earned the trust of the hostage taker, things can change on a dime. Um, So the dice rolling sort of implements that to some extent. 
you can sometimes have the best laid plan and you know if the dice don't go your way it's not going to go well that said there are things in the game that let you mitigate the randomness of the dice fives and sixes are hits which is good ones twos and threes are bad but if you roll a four you have the choice of discarding cards to turn it into a hit also, there are re-rolled cards that you can purchase. They're super cheap and often they're totally worth it. So yes, like you can sometimes the dice will will harm you, but you can it's also a game about risk management and probability. So making sure you have cards in your hands to convert fours, getting the re-rolled cards in your hands as much as possible, doing those things to sort of put the odds in your favor is what the game is all about. Immersed is produced by Cardboard Edison. Find out more about the show and all of our other board game design projects at CardboardEdison.com. Special thanks this episode go to our guests, Tony Diuto and AJ Porfirio and Linda Durant. Editing assistance by Eric Booth. Music credits are available in the show notes. Cardboard Edison is backed by our patrons on Patreon. Be part of our support team by becoming one of our patrons. You can get episodes before they officially release, and you can hear extended interviews with our guests, AJ Porfirio and Tony Diudo, only by supporting Cardboard Edison at patreon.com slash cardboardedison. I'm Suzanne Zinsley. And I'm Chris Zinsley. And join us next time as we become immersed in another game. Immersed is also sponsored by Haba USA Games, German design and quality, children's and family games that adults enjoy playing. Home of Rhino Hero, Karuba, and Animal Upon Animal. Learn more at HabaUSA.com. Smirk and Dagger Games, makers of emotionally engaging, immersive, highly thematic games that create a stir. Find out more at SmirkandDagger.com. Van Ryder Games presents... Graphic Novel Adventures, a new line of game books where you are the hero. Graphic Novel Adventures, your choices, your adventure, your story. Visit bandridergames.com. Formal Ferret Games, publisher of The Networks, Bad Medicine, Wordsy, and the upcoming High Rise. Go to formalferretgames.com for more. Indie Boards and Cards, the maker of Coup, a dystopian social deduction game of assassination, deception, and elimination. Will you be the last one standing? Find out more at IndieBoardsAndCards.com. And Brotherwise Games, makers of hit games Boss Monster, Unearth, and Call to Adventure. Brotherwise Games brings everyone to the table. Visit BrotherwiseGames.com.